2: New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.
1: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
0: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.
1: To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You're listening to the Fuck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever
1: you get your podcasts.
0: More bad news for America's crime-ridden cities. According to a new report, the Seattle Police Department's Sexual Assault and Child Abuse Unit staff has been so depleted that it was forced to stop assigning detectives to new adult sexual assault cases this year. Sorry, ladies, we can't investigate rape anymore, the Seattle Police Department's saying, because, you know, social justice and cops don't wanna work here. What? We'll get into this crisis in Seattle that's playing out in a lot of other cities, too, in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The Seattle Police Department has some serious staffing issues and this has led to a report in the Seattle Times that they can't even assign investigators in a timely fashion to deal with new sexual assault and rape claims. This is from a Seattle Police Department staffing issues memo that was uh, published in part in the Seattle Times. In the memo, Uh, She said, meaning a senior uh, member of the police department, was not able to assign adult sexual assault cases that came into her unit. Cases involving children and adult cases that had a suspect in custody. A fraction of adult sexual assaults reported to police were being prioritized. The unit just had too few detectives. Not enough detectives in order to figure out, uh, or rather in order to Tackle the problems of crime in that city, which of course have gotten worse in Seattle the last two years, just like everywhere else, just like Seattle, I'm sorry, just like New York, of course, and Houston and Chicago and St. Louis and Phoenix and Atlanta and Detroit and name a city. Why is it all getting to be so much worse? 20%, 30% increases in overall crime, some cases 40 or 50% increases over a two year period. What the heck is going on? Well, In Seattle, we can trace it back pretty closely to 2020. Here was Seattle City Council President Lorena Gonzalez during an interview talking about defunding the police. Watch. What did end up getting cut from the budget?
2: What we ended up uh, looking at as a strategy is, is, is first and foremost, how can we prevent the police department from continuing to grow? We reduced their hiring budget by about $6.1 million in the form of transferring divisions out of the police department to make them uh, a true civilian function. So it's a combination of cuts and transfers that led to a 20% reduction of the police department's budget.
0: A 20% reduction of the police department's budget. Well, guess what? Over the last two years, the city of Chicago has seen a 25% drop in the number of officers. And when you have a 25% drop in the number of cops you have in a city of over a million people, you've got a problem on your hands, don't you? And that's exactly what we're seeing now. Wasn't this the most predictable, most obvious thing anybody could have ever imagined? You slash the number of... We're not talking about changing police training or looking at, you know, whether they're using a banned chokehold or whatever these... Whatever the latest issue is, the moment we're talking about just saying, no, you're going to have 25%, 30% fewer cops total. That's going to make people safer as crime was already rising. Does any intelligent person believe that? Well, here's a flashback. uh, City Council President Lorena Gonzalez of Seattle was asked, will defunding police harm public safety? Watch.
5: Is there a danger of defunding the police before these other programs that are supposed to fill that gap before they're built up fully? Is there a risk to public safety? I mean, the crime crime is going up in the city, right?
2: It's important for us to remember that we are dealing with all of this amidst a global pandemic that has created mass historic levels of unemployment and, and has increased poverty for many people. And so I think that that oftentimes results in an increase in crime because people are trying to survive. I want to be mindful of that but I also wanna be mindful of the fact that there are victims to serious crimes in our city. And as a city, we have a responsibility to make sure that if if they are in crisis, they have a a appropriate response to that crisis.
0: Yeah, the pandemic was causing the rise in crime. The pandemic would be responsible. They said, no, not true. Data doesn't support it, not the case. And in fact, as we've left the pandemic mostly in the rearview mirror, Crime has continued to go up in cities all across the country. What the heck is going on? Well, we know, of course, the left, the Democrats, decided that the demands of social justice, the demands of racial justice, meant that we must have fewer police, and we must decide that the police cannot be trusted. They should have smaller budgets, fewer people on the streets to try to serve and protect in the first place, because, you know, racism, systemic racism, whatever, social justice, they just came up with something. And the results are now apparent for all to see. Police say that in Seattle, they saw major increases in crime in 2021 versus 2020, overall increase in crime by 10 percent, violent crime increased by 20 percent, property crime increased by 9 percent. This got worse, right? And actually, when you look at the overall number of thefts in Seattle, it's a city that is plagued with assaults and smaller scale thefts, uh, petty larceny, all over the place to the point where major national retail chains have just said we're leaving. They're, they've just said we're out. We're not doing this anymore. So this is playing out in cities all across the country. New York City is among them. What does Mayor Eric Adams, the new mayor as of the beginning of this year, what does he say about this? Well, he's, just, he's decided to go with a gun violence czar to tackle the scourge of shootings here in the Big Apple. And everyone's expecting this is going to get just worse as the summer approaches. The summer heat just tends to coincide with more people outside, more people interacting, more shootings happening. Adams has tapped Andre Mitchell, the founder of a Brooklyn anti-violence group called Man Up, which has previously come under scrutiny from city investigators for the role. And this is the fundamental philosophical disconnect right now between Democrats who have gotten all of this wrong up to this point but realize they've got a political liability on their hands now when it comes to violence and Republicans, conservatives, sane people, rational people, reasonable people, independents, you name it, who are saying you really just need to lock up the criminals actually is what needs to happen. But no, Eric Adams believes the gun is the problem, the inanimate ab- object. Watch.
1: It's clear the number one uh, killer of young people uh, uh, are the guns, (laughs) that's clear. And we have basically normalized uh, young people dying uh, from gun violence. And it's unfortunate that many of these killings are taking place in poor black and brown communities. And we have not uh, considered this the crisis that it is.
0: It is not the guns that is killing people. It is killers who are killing people who need to be locked up. Democrats keep pretending that we don't all see this for what it is, at least those of us who have our eyes open and can come to conclusions about what is obvious. Or right, as crime continues to plague major cities, federal lawmakers are drawing up plans to introduce new red flag laws, which would allow law enforcement to seize the firearms of anyone a court finds is a danger to themselves or others. When we come back, the editor of Bearing Arms, Cam Edwards is gonna join us to give his take on that legislation. But first, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence you're not being spied on by your internet provider or big tech. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at Manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawn Mower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof, so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer with proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. As states around the country are working to pass gun control laws, federal lawmakers are preparing so-called red flag legislation, which enables law enforcement officials to temporarily seize firearms from people who are seen as a threat to themselves or others with a court order. According to a report from CBS News, the bipartisan effort is being led by Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Democratic Senator Dick Blumenthal of Connecticut. The report adds that the two are, quote, working on provisions That would be acceptable to both parties, particularly when it comes to the timeline between a court order prompted by evidence of extreme risk and a hearing. More on this, let me bring in the editor of BearingArms.com, our friend Cam Edwards. Cam, good to see you. Hey, bud. Good to see you, sir. All right. So, what do we all need to know about this supposed bipartisan effort to pass red flag laws? Well,
3: I think the first thing that we need to be concerned about, uh, you know, listen, while I'm glad to hear uh, Lindsey Graham and uh, Richard Blumenthal at least pay lip service to some of the concerns about gun owners, I I don't believe that they're going to be able to address all of the fundamental issues. With these red flag laws, for instance, they talk about you know we want to make sure that uh, there's not a lot of time uh, between you know the the order coming down and these hearings. But what most people don't understand is that there are generally two hearings that are held when a red flag petition is is put in place. The first is generally an ex parte hearing where the subject of that petition is not even there. They may not even be aware that an order has been filed. So they don't have an opportunity to defend themselves. Instead, it's typically a prosecutor laying out one side of this case to a judge who will decide uh, whether or not there is a, a determination of dangerousness. And then if that determination is made, the guns are seized. And then sometime within, let's say, 10 days, two weeks, maybe 30 days, a second hearing is held where the petitioner has the opportunity to, prevent to present their side of the story. Unfortunately, um, they're not entitled to a court-appointed attorney. This is a civil case. So for example, you know, a a public defender who would represent you if you've been charged with a crime, they're not available to you. If you can't afford an attorney, you're gonna be going up uh, in court against a prosecutor by yourself. I think there are legitimate concerns that these ex-part hearings ultimately result in a rubber stamping of approval on the part of judges. But the biggest issue beyond the constitutional and due process concerns that I have, Buck, is the fact that there is no mental health component whatsoever to these red flag laws. You've got a judge declaring that somebody is a danger to themselves or others, so we got to take their guns away, and then we're gonna leave that dangerous person to do whatever they want, right? They're they're, they're not gonna be committed, they're not even gonna be uh, helped getting counseling. They're gonna be allowed access to knives, to pills, to ropes, gas, car keys, whatever else they could use to harm themselves or others. But as long as their guns are taken away, from the lawmakers' perspective,
0: that red flag law has worked. Has, has there been any uh, previous data gathered on red flag laws being uh, successful? I mean, have, has it ever prevented a mass shooting? That, I mean, obviously, if you prevent the shooting, it didn't happen, so that's tough. To, but, you know, it, it, what, what does the data tell us about where they've tried this in the past? Has it led to a lot of abuse uh, within the system? Has it really not been used very much? Do we know?
3: You know, again, you hit on a really good point. It is hard to know the efficacy of these laws because how do you prove that uh, this is the reason why a shooting didn't take place? Right. One study that looked at Connecticut's law found that for somewhere between for every 10 and 20 red flag law petitions in which guns were seized, one suicide was prevented, which raises the question, what what, what happens in those nine to 19 other cases? Did a suicide Uh, take place after a red flag petition was granted? Were these people not dangerous and no danger to themselves to to begin with? We can look at the overall suicide rates in states like Indiana and, and Connecticut, which have had red flag laws on the books. And the overall suicide rates have continued to increase even with these laws in place. So if the Connecticut study which I think is the study that shows, you know, the, the the most effectiveness of these red flag laws shows that maybe in five to ten percent of these cases a suicide is prevented. I would argue that there are much more targeted approaches that have a much better chance of success that don't involve putting new laws on the books. That involve actually fixing a broken mental health system, which we have in every state around the country, as well as you know volunteer grassroots efforts. There's a great group out there called Walk the Talk America, uh, that is designed specifically to talk to gun owners, get them access to mental health treatments before there is a crisis. And if we're able to think outside of the box, I think and and you know work on these types of things that encourage people to to get the help that they need to remove the stigma around mental health treatment. I think that's gonna be much more effective than simply trying to take guns away from somebody who's supposedly dangerous and thinking that
0: that solves the problem. In the aftermath of the Uvalde uh, shooting camp, there's been some discussion also about hardening schools, um, which uh, prominent, of course, uh, in in, in those processes would be posting armed security. Here's what White House Press Secretary uh, Karine Jean-Pierre said about the uh, hardening of schools and the Biden administration approach. Listen.
2: And uh, when, uh, when it comes to schools, and, and I don't know what he said specifically about, about schools. I know there's been uh, conversation about hardening schools. That is not something that he believes in. He believes that we should be able to, to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools.
0: Okay, that, that wasn't even really much of an answer about anything. But uh, what do you think about of uh, teachers being able to conceal carry, having armed resource officers, you know. What what do you think, Cam, in the, just in the broader sense, what might actually help? What'll make schools safer that isn't just a thumb in the eye of lawful gun owners from the left or some kind of panic maneuver uh, pushed by emotion uh, through the media? What, what should we actually consider, if anything? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I don't think that there is a
3: one-size-fits-all solution.
0: Uh, you know, armed teachers, I, I believe,
3: makes sense. Uh, there have been some research conducted by the Homeland Security Institute at Purdue University. Uh, and what their research showed was that actually the fastest way to stop an active shooter in a school was to have a school resource officer there in the building who could engage that attacker. While you also had armed school staff who were able to shelter in place with students so that if that attacker breached the door, they would be met uh, with defensive gunfire. That to me seems like a pretty reasonable step to take, but obviously there are going to be some school districts that shy away from that. I do believe that districts should have the power and the authority to make those decisions for themselves. And we see in Texas, they do have the school marshal program after Parkland, Florida put in place the school guardian program that ensures that there is an armed individual on campus to serve as that first line of defense. But we also do need to be talking about simple things like making sure that you know you can't get unsecured access to a school. We to make sure that uh, there is a, a, a quick point of exit, if need be, uh, as well as perhaps, again, limiting those points of entry uh, for uh, for strangers. This is a decision, and these are talks that, that every school district around the country is going to have to have, and the decisions that they come up with are, honestly, the, the best decisions are going to have to be made on a school-by-school,
0: campus-by-campus basis. Cam, always appreciate your perspective and expertise, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you, Buck. Thanks. A disappointing conclusion to the trial of Michael Sussman this week as the former Clinton attorney was acquitted of giving false statements to the FBI in 2016. Former Defense Department official Cash Patel gives his take on the verdict after the break. Right now, I want to talk to you about defending your home. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but there was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent that found the home she lived in was listed for sale. Problem was, she wasn't selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime happening all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowners insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and help get your home back in your name. Here's what you should do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. Then register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. And when you protect your home, tell them Buck Sexton sent you for 30 free days of protection.
1: HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Cash Patel joins when we return. It only took six hours of deliberation for the jury to find former
0: Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman not guilty. Sussman was brought up on charges by special counsel John Durham for allegedly lying to the FBI in 2016 about the Clinton campaign's role in peddling the debunked Trump-Russia hoax. In a statement from the jury for woman after the verdict, she shared the quote that, Personally, I don't think this should have been prosecuted. The government could have spent our time more wisely. Everyone pretty much saw it the same way. The Crooked Hillary's squad once again gets away with the foul play. Here to discuss former Defense Department official for the Trump administration and a man who backs down from none of the deep state, Mr. Cash Patel. Cash, good to see you. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. So what's your just top line reaction to this Sussman trial? Because, you know, the the libs didn't talk about this trial, really. They're like, a little quiet about it. Uh, And then all we saw was a headline, you know, acquitted of the charges. What do you make of this?
5: Well, look, as the guy who spent four years running the Russiagate investigation and a former federal prosecutor, you know, here's what the jury took back, especially with that statement from the four person. When they say they deliberated for a few hours, they deliberated for less than 30 minutes because they were busy ordering lunch and um, getting uh, getting their schedules lined up, which means there was no amount of evidence in the world, including a videotape and sworn, sworn testimony under earth that was in black and white that could have convinced this jury to follow the facts and the law, which means the jury pool is completely completely politicized in DC. Now the reason the liberals weren't talking about it was because of the damning evidence that was forced out in the case, namely Hillary Clinton was basically taken out by her own campaign manager, Robbie Mook, when he said under oath, she was in on it from the jump. She orchestrated it. She's told us to do it and she sent us to the FBI and media with all these lies from our political campaign operation on disinformation. So that stuff's pretty hard to run away from.
0: To your point about getting the information out there, former Attorney General Bill Barr said that he's actually proud that Durham got some of that info out there. Watch this one. I'm very proud of uh, John Durham, and I, I do take
4: responsibility for his appointment, and I think he and his team did a, an exceptionally able job, both digging out very important facts and presenting a compelling case. TO THE JURY. HE CRYSTALLIZED uh, THE CENTRAL ROLE PLAYED BY THE HILLARY CAMPAIGN IN LAUNCHING AS A DIRTY TRICK THE WHOLE RUSSIAGATE uh, COLLUSION NARRATIVE and, and, AND FANNING THE FLAMES OF IT. Uh, AND SECOND, I THINK HE EXPOSED uh, REALLY DREADFUL BEHAVIOR BY THE SUPERVISORS IN THE FBI, THE SENIOR RANKS OF THE FBI.
0: That is all true. I mean, they did get it on the record from Hillary's campaign manager that the order came from Hillary. She did order the code red, so to speak.
5: No, she did, and I'm glad Bill Barr is admitting it. You know, I spent two years of my life telling him about it along with Devin Nunes and Johnny Radcliffe. And he could have put, you know, he called it a seditious act, I think, in that interview or recently. Well, if it was such a seditious act when you were attorney general, why don't you mobilize the forces and assist John Durham in this prosecution? Of course, now he's on a book tour, so he wants to take victory for both sides, attacking President Trump and also making John Durham's, you know, whatever wins we can take from it his. But um, it's just another example of a cabinet secretary, him, Mark Esper, what have you you who want to have it both ways take credit but when they could have done more and could have done the job for the american people they completely failed
0: so one thing that i thought was so interesting about the trial cash was as i understand it there was a text message that was essentially a smoking gun text message uh, from sussman to the fbi saying i'm not representing anybody but because they hadn't actually durham hadn't actually subpoenaed it And because of the statute of limitations for the actual line to the FBI crime, they weren't able to introduce that text message in a way that the jury was able to consider it in their, we'll talk about the jury in a second, in their deliberations. Why would they rely on the good, they asked for every communication from the FBI, right? Durham's team said, yeah, FBI, give us all the communications. They didn't subpoena it, so they didn't get it until it was too late why aren't they using subpoenas with the fbi i don't understand this one
5: as a former federal prosecutor completely baffles me look the, the information they presented to the jury was my interrogation of michael sussman four years under oath we're in black and white he said under oath under penalty of perjury i'm telling you cash patel and house intel that i went to the fbi on behalf of a client then the text message you're talking about is from sussman's own phone to the fbi where he says in black and white I'm coming to you as a good Samaritan. That's a lie, 100%. But the judge allowed judicial discretion to come in the form of politics to keep that out. It has nothing to do with the statute of limitations or anything else you hear from these legal experts. He chose not to give the jury the videotape of the murder and they let him walk for it.
0: And it is remarkable too, just on the on the on ultimate, what I call the ultimate fail safe, for the deep state, is that if you have federal government malfeasance at the highest levels, which you clearly did here, Cash, you and I know this, and the FBI, clearly they were colluding, in a sense, and the Russia collusion lie, um, that if it's going to be tried in Washington, D.C., or even D.C.'s environs, you know, northern Virginia, whatever, uh, you're going to have a jury pool that is 90, 95 percent in the tank for Hillary, Obama, Biden, you name it. Feels like that's a failsafe for the deep state. How do we get around this?
5: You know, as a prosecutor, you can get around it by not bringing the case in DC. And I think John Durham is too much by the book. If I have one criticism of him, that might be it. He doesn't have to bring that kind of case in Washington. He could bring it in places like Virginia, where his next one is. Or if it's a conspiracy case, he can bring it in a number of different venues. Um, And you just gotta get creative. And I don't know that this Justice Department would let him, but you gotta use the full force of the rules of the rule of law like they did against you, John Durham. You gotta use it against them, knowing that this type of DC jury, which I think three Hillary Clinton donors, an AOC donor, and a, and a person on the jury whose kid swam with Sussman's daughter. Literally, can't make this up. I mean, that's how bad Washington, D.C. is, not just politically, but from a citizen standpoint. So if people didn't hate the swamp before, I think they're going to hate it now.
0: Trump spoke out on the Sussman verdict, by the way. He he uh, put out the statement, our legal system is corrupt. Our judges and justices are highly partisan. Compromise are just planes scared, our borders are open, our elections are rigged, inflation is rampant, gas prices and food costs are through the roof, our military is woke, our country's going to hell, and Michael Sussman is not guilty. How's everything else doing? What do you think?
5: Well, that about sums it up, but it also shows me, you know, guys like me and you and him got to keep fighting because we know there's, um, you just can't take a knee. That's what they do. Um, we'll do it every way we can. I mean, heck, I even wrote a children's book on Russiagate to try to get the message out and Google shut me down uh, yesterday on, on the plot against the king, which I found hilarious. But uh, we'll do it any way we can. We'll get out there and we got to keep Wait, it wait,
1: of-
0: you got to, you got you to, your children, why they, sh- how they shut down your children's book? Like, what's the justification for that?
5: Oh, they didn't have any. The children's book became number one and number 15 overall in the country. So Google's ad campaign that we had, they shut down not just the Plot Against the King, the entire publishing house that uses the the brand to put out children's book on the constitution, on freedom of speech, on government and how this country was founded. And they provided as a reason, they said, we have, received a number of complaints about your book so we're shutting down your ad campaign in its entirety and on top of that amazon followed suit and said the literally they said there's too many good reviews for your book so we're going to shut down the reviews for your
0: book you know they got they're gonna these libs are gonna learn a lesson you can't mess with cash can't mess with cash. <laughs> good, to, good to see you man thanks for being with us thanks so
5: much have a good one
0: Biden administration unveils yet another massive $700 million military aid package to Ukraine, including some weapons that the Kremlin claims will add fuel to the fire. Bill Roggio, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, going to help us break down the latest news on the Russia invasion of Ukraine when we come back.
1: giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning.
3: President Biden directed the drawdown of an additional $700 million in weapons and equipment from the Department of Defense inventories. The capabilities in this package are tailored to meet critical Ukrainian needs for today's fight, including requirements for rocket artillery. This authorization is the 11th drawdown of equipment from DoD inventories for Ukraine since August of 2021. The capabilities in this package include High Mobility Artillery Rocket Systems, or HIMARS, and guided munitions with a range of up to 70 kilometers.
0: Yet another care package from Uncle Sam will soon be on its way to Ukraine to help them fight off the Russian invaders the Biden administration unveiled another $700 million in aid in the form of artillery and long-range rocket systems to help the Ukrainian military slow down the Russian army. Russia is not taking this new package lightly. One official saying the U.S. is, quote, adding fuel to this fire by sending longer-range rockets. So how many care packages are we going to send, and how long will Russia allow us to get away with this before they wind up taking action against the United States? Join me now to discuss senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio. Bill, thank you, sir. Thanks, Buck. It's always a pleasure. All right. We're sending over now a whole bunch of uh, new rockets. I'm hearing that these are pretty advanced. What are they? Why are we sending them? How are they going to change things? And how pissed off are the Russians going to get over this one?
4: Yeah, I think the to answer your last question first, I think the Russians are going to be pretty upset over this one. These uh, these are guided rockets uh, that can launch larger warheads. Uh, so yeah. they, they're putting more um, explosives and at greater distance, more than twice the amount of the artillery pieces that we had sent. Those howitzers that we had sent earlier, so the, you could launch these at about seventy, uh, uh, about forty miles. Uh, so they also are highly more mobile than artillery pieces. Artillery pieces, you got to take them off the back of the truck and put them down and then fire them. Whereas these, you could basically drive your truck up and push a button and fire and fire. They're often uh, are guided as well, some using the GPS. GPS. So these are definitely more advanced. Uh, the, it will help the Ukrainians. The question is, will it help enough? Um, that's what we're going to find out. And are they reaching the battlefield? in a timely manner and in, at the same time. And also there's an issue here of training the Ukrainians to actually use these and not just use them, but use them effectively. Uh, the, you know, These are the questions we're gonna be finding out in, in, as the next couple of weeks and months uh, advance. I
0: mean, this is added to an already considerable amount of direct US assistance to the Ukrainians. CBS News reported that overall, the United States has committed approximately $5 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since the beginning of the Biden administration, including approximately $4.5 billion since the Russian invasion on February 24th. So we're sending billions, and this is for, when this is security assistance, right, we're basically talking weapons, communications equipment, body armor, right? And we're talking about battlefield stuff. Is this a I mean, has this been essentially a, a game changer from the perspective of the Ukrainian resistance? I mean, how much are we giving them relative to other NATO partners, and and how how reliant are they, Bill, on what U.S. taxpayers are funding here in this fight?
4: Yeah, it's as far as how much we've sent. We've sent more in aid in the uh, in military aid is all than all of Europe combined. You know, this is a European problem, first and foremost. Europeans really need to up their game and be sending more, you know, be spending a lot more. The Europeans are the ones most concerned about what is happening here. And they really need to be uh, spending a lot more money if they believe that it's in their interest to keep the Ukrainians fighting off the Russians. How effective it's been? I think it, it was effective in and around in the Kiev, um, with where the Russians failed and around Kiev. Um, the Russians also made mistakes, but now the Russians seem to have regrouped. They've changed their their tactics. They're they're operating more closely to their doctrine, bringing up the artillery, pounding locations, concentrating fires. Um, and they're having success with this. The Ukrainians are losing a lot of troops. President Zelensky estimated 50 to 100 a day. That is significant for a country the size of Ukraine. And they're losing ground, steadily losing ground in the east. Almost all of Luhansk province, well, one of the two provinces in in the Donbas, are under is under Russian control. They're losing ground in Donetsk, and the Ukrainians are only being only able to fight or to launch limited counterattacks. The question here that we have to ask is: At what point do, do we need to turn to negotiations? And and you know, as we continue to pour weapons into Ukraine and spending hard earned taxpayer money at a very difficult time. At what point does, it, will it, is, is it going to matter? Are the Russians going to continue advancing? There's a, are the Ukrainians going to continue dying in large numbers? We have to start considering other options here.
0: Bill, what is the latest on, there's, there's one city, right, that the Russians have, a major city in the east, that they, they, they are almost in full control of. I know, I know Mariupol, I believe has fallen, well, just tell us, You mentioned territory, they've taken more in the Donbass. Key cities and cities of strategic importance, where does that stand on the battlefield?
4: Yeah, there's a city called Severodonetsk. It's um, right on the edge of of, uh, Luhansk province and the Russians have taken control of 70% of it. And not just that, but they're they're creating a salient or they're creating a pocket that they're very close to closing. And there's thousands, perhaps 10,000 Ukrainian troops that may be trapped within this this pocket, and once this, if this can happen, Ukrainians are going to lo- or possibly can lose. So these are some of their best forces that are that are stationed there in in eastern Ukraine. So they're they're. This is what I'm talking about. And even as we pour weapon systems in, the Ukrainians are losing ground, and they can they can. There's an opp- there's an opportunity here if the Russians can get it together to punch further west. And that's, a, it's. A, there's a real danger to the Ukrainians. You know, the, we're pouring weapons in saying perhaps they can win. But what happens if, if perhaps they can lose? It could be, it could also be a stalemate, but they could also can lose considerable territory if they're not careful.
0: What do you think Putin's goals are at this stage, as best we can tell? I know this is, the Kremlinology that's going on in the media is constant and usually wrong. So what what do we know of of Putin's intentions? What's our best What's your best guess right now as to what he's planning? Where, where is he trying to take this?
4: Yeah, I believe he's trying to take full control of the Donbas. So that's the Luhansk and Donetsk province in the east. Can keep control of the areas um, that are east of Kharkiv in the north. That's the second largest city in the north. Um, he controls two thirds of the of the Black Sea coast and all of the uh, Sea of Azov. Um, the coast there. I believe that he would like to, once taking control of Donbas, perhaps advancing a little further west there, he'd like to take control of the city of Odessa and take full control of the Black Sea. This would strangle the Ukrainian UK- economy. They wouldn't be able to export via the, the, their Black Sea ports. Um, sending it over rail is is significantly I, I, I believe it's like three or four times higher, if not more, than shipping it overseas.
0: Also, just wanted to know. here's President Zelensky claiming that Russia has removed 200,000
4: children from their country. Watch, watch this. Забезпечити, щоб усі, хто убивав, катував або депортував українців, відповів за свої дії. Невідворотність покарання – це той принцип, якому Україна точно навчить Росію. Але передусім маємо навчити її на полі бою тому, що Україна не підкорити. Що наші люди не здадуться, а наші діти не стануть.
0: So just real quick, before we go, what is this forced deportation of children from Ukraine into Russia?
4: Well, we have to remember there's an intense propaganda war being waged by both sides. It's difficult to confirm what he is saying, but I have no doubt that the, the Russians have conducted forced deportation. 200,000 children, that's that's a significant number. I'm a little skeptical of that, but if it's 100,000 or 50,000, whatever that number is, uh, it, you know, look, the, Putin it, it is, what the Russians are doing is evil and it needs to be stopped. We need to support the Ukrainians. We just need to be wise
2: about how we do this.
0: Bill, appreciate you joining us. Good to see you. Always a pleasure, Buck. Thank you. Former White House COVID Task Force member Dr. Deborah Burks is back on TV, this time saying mandates are used because the CDC doesn't want to explain the science. We've got the video for you in tonight's Quick Hit. Stay with us. Former White House COVID Task Force member Dr. Deborah Burks is back on TV, this time saying mandates are used because the CDC doesn't want to explain the science. And White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre appears to have no idea if Biden was ever warned about the baby formula crisis. Oh, wow, that's really encouraging. It's time for quick hits. Let's start with the Chanel scarf-wearing tyrant, Dr. Deborah Burks. You remember she was right along there with Fauci. They were kind of a duo, you know, Tango and Cash, Burks and Fauci. Uh, but you know, more like Stalin. And she was part of this whole thing. And it's it's fascinating to watch how she self-justifies the horrifically wrong and awful policies pushed by the atrocious CDC and NIH and all the rest of the public health apparatus as you know because we just wanted to or something. Watch
2: mandate should never be an excuse. We're not empowering the American people with the knowledge that they need to understand why masks work and why they should be used in certain situations. And I think sometimes we use mandates because we don't want to take the time to explain the science and the data and really have people understand who should be using them and why they should be using them.
0: No, masks don't work. Sorry. Even the New York Times is printing, printing stories saying that mask mandates don't do a damn thing. So, they don't work. You can keep saying they work, but the way people wear them doesn't actually work. And the way people live their lives doesn't actually keep them safe from the virus. And most people have gotten the virus now anyway. So what was this all about? Atrocious. These people are are loathsome, loathsome in the public health apparatus. No one should ever listen to them again. They should all be fired. And their reputation should be ignominious, to say the least representative david chichelin of rhode island uh says something about uh, a well he says i don't think there's a single incident of an assailant using an assault weapon that was stopped by a person with a gun watch
4: i don't think there is a single incident and, I, and maybe there's one but i've not found one of a, an assailant using an assault weapon that was stopped by a person with a gun uh so this is a just maybe there's one of the
5: thousands and thousands and thousands of shootings
0: you know it's interesting because there are lots of them actually not one but even this past weekend a woman in south carolina with a gun shot a man who came in with an ar-15 and was firing at a party so yes actually it's not like you have to go deep into history or deep dive into the data It literally happened, and there were news stories on it this past weekend, but one of the morons who wants to pass more gun laws can't be bothered to actually know anything. Speaking of morons who don't know anything, Joe Biden, when did he know that there was going to be a big problem here with a baby formula shortage? Well, when asked, Corinne Jean-Pierre appears to not know when, if ever, Joe Biden was, in fact, warned about the baby formula crisis. Watch. So you you did February 17th was recall. February 18th, FDA issued uh, instructions to states. Can we continue that through April? When did somebody call the White House to say, this is a problem, you guys may need to get involved?
2: So I could say that... um, Again, the recall happened on the day day one of the recall, we took action as a whole of government approach, right? With FDA, USDA, as I just laid out. Um, And the president understands, again, he understands how difficult this is. He understands uh, how challenging this is, and we have acknowledged that.
0: Yeah, that's that's not good enough. Then a teacher explained how she's tried teaching second graders about non-binary and they said, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Watch.
2: So today in Queer Teacher Things, um, one of my students asked about my roommate, because um, I know I have a roommate. And I told them their name. And they asked my roommate was a boy or a girl. And I said, neither. And they were like, no, Miss Brown, it, are they a boy or a girl? And I was like, N- my friend, they're neither. They were like, well, do they have a boy name or a girl name? And I said, neither. And they said, well, do they wear boy clothes or girl clothes? And I said, what are boy clothes and girl clothes? And they go, you know. And I said, no, my friend, I don't know. What are boy clothes and girl clothes? And they said, well, what kind of clothes do they wear? And I said, well, they normally wear jeans and a t-shirt. And they said, well, what color is the t-shirt? And I said, all colors. And they said, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I said, it doesn't have to make sense. And then they walked away because they got mad at me. (laughs)
0: Yes, because they know reality, those second graders, and this teacher does not. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields High.
1: giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning.
0: Who is there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans? And who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who, the Tunnel Towers Foundation. The Foundation's gold star, fallen first responder, smart home, and homeless veteran programs Comprise they're in the line of duty programs they're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families the foundation's never forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across america over 80 runs walks and climbs a year dozens of golf outings and the tunnel to towers 9-11 institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget more than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to tunnel to towers goes to its programs Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org.
2: From original art and diplomas to ticket stubs and the keys to your first home, we all have mementos we'd love to put on display. FrameBridge is the easy and affordable way to custom frame just about anything, with fair upfront pricing based on the size of your item and fast, free shipping. Plus, your happiness is guaranteed. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over two million pieces. Visit Framebridge.com or a local Framebridge store to get started. That's Framebridge.com.
3: Our kids have said to us since we have moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere
0: else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us.
2: Just this overall sense of community, and of values that you know Minnesotans have.
1: It's a real
4: accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids.
2: See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com live.
1: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He
0: has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of
1: Fredo, and the coldness of Michael